Hey, this is Lee Eisenberg. And this is Gene Stubnitsky. And you're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said. That's What She Said, Retro Episode 38, Valentine's Day. Hey, hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is the one with Michael in New York. You've seen it. Brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. That's what she said. Time circuit's on. That's what she said. Flux capacitor. Fluxing. That's what she said. Let's count it down. Three, two, one. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're going to see some serious shit. I really like Valentine's Day in this office. Welcome to episode 38 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 16th episode of season 2, entitled Valentine's Day, which originally aired Thursday, February 9th, 2006. Well, it's February here in Twistland, so what better time to revisit a holiday classic? Love is in the air at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. At least for the budding entity known as Duangela. A bobblehead is born, jam goes unrequited, and Michael takes on NYC like Storm and Norman took down those Iraqis in Desert Storm. Let's get you home, Twist listeners. You're going to get the best sex of your life. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the Valentine card table this month is our dear friend, Kevin Crossman. How you doing, Kevin? Oh, man, I'm doing great. And I love Valentine's Day. Just hope by the end of this episode I'll get something special. <laughs> well, let's not uh, get ahead of ourselves. Now, um... <laughs> Kevin, you're you're a married man. Now, I'm currently single, but I have to say that as a principal, I really generally hate Valentine's Day. It's probably one of my least favorite holidays, and not just because you're single, I guess, but just uh, the whole thing, the, um, you know, the artifice of it all, the whole crushed expectations, you don't get your girl that exact right present, uh, she's mad at you, you know, it's this whole big, huge thing of pressure. And uh, I don't know, what, what's it like in in your family over there? Well, I'd say we're kind of uh, in the middle there on Valentine's Day. Definitely not the favorite holiday in our household, that's for sure. But I wouldn't say we're exactly negative on it either. But, uh, you know, we got kids in the whole, like what, like what Oscar did with passing out the Valentine's cards and all that stuff. That's always cute when, when you got kids, so. Yeah, Valentine's Day is only really cute when you're, when you're a kid, I guess. I remember... Uh, you know, everyone with their little Valentine cards all handwritten out. And, and uh, I don't know, at least when I was a kid, they changed the rules, you know, so that you had to give one to everybody. Um, <laughs> this is the minefield of crushed hearts and uh, failing expectations, I guess, for that one kid like, like Ralph Wiggum that uh, doesn't get any <laughs> Valentines. But let it be known, Kevin, that I choo choo choose you to be my co-host here on That's What She Said. Um, I don't know, man. Like I said, I hate, pretty much hate Valentine's Day. So, like Jim, I guess, um, looking for any excuse, any other activity. I think this year I spent my Valentine's Day 
God, what did I do? I have, I have absolutely no idea. Sat <laughs> probably sat at home and watched TV and then went to bed early uh, with tears on my pillow. So. Well, at least you had a more productive Valentine's Day than Ryan did. So. <laughs> oh man, that you know that that. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm disappointed you didn't include Ryan in the in the show up in there because I think that was a momentous event. That you know that uh, sight gag with his bizarre hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. I guess I gotta say. Yeah. Back in the day when we actually sort of felt sorry for Ryan. When uh, <laughs> this poor innocent guy that was getting himself in deeper and deeper into this mire of uh, quicksand known as Kelly Kapoor. When did we feel sorry for him? <laughs> I don't know. I felt pretty sorry for him in this episode anyway. <laughs> I felt sorry for Jim in this episode. Yeah, I felt more As sorry for Jim. Kelly. That's true, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, let's talk about this episode because it actually is one of my favorites for a couple of reasons from season two. And... One of the reasons, I guess, why it's one of my favorites is that it, int- it actually introduces a lot of concepts, a lot of things for the first time that would play larger roles, I guess, in, in the future of The Office. For example, first appearance of the Dwight Bobblehead. Now, who could have thought that that would have you know, sparked a million-dollar industry? I've got my Dwight Bobblehead proudly over there on my mantelpiece. How about you, Kevin? I have a Dwight squeezy head. It's like that rubber stuff, but yeah, I can squeeze Dwight's head. It's pretty fun. Where did that come from? I my I think my wife gave it to me for Valentine's Day last year. She gave me a whole bunch of office stuff. So. Oh, that must have been from like those bins at Target or something, huh? Like the. Well, as a matter of fact, that is where it came from. <laughs> okay. You know, I heard about that stuff. I still never ever saw any of it. So. But yeah, I like this episode a lot too, and uh, I got to say, I love Pam's hair in this episode. When she lets her hair down, she looks a whole lot sexier. Yeah, you know that's the funny thing. Again, we went a, a season and a half with Pam, about as frumpy and as dowdy as possible, and here for the first time we get a tight pink sweater. Oh yeah, <laughs> we get the uh, the hair down with the headband. You know, that's about as glam as Pam Beasley has ever been. Hottie Pam, I guess, for Valentine's Day. We also kind of got to see Bitchy Pam during Valentine's Day as well. Yeah, I like that side of her. It's nice. <laughs> and, and deserved in this episode. I mean, you know, it's not unreasonable the way she was acting. Yeah, that's true. And one of the things... And, and I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you have loved to gone home with Pam and Roy? Because <laughs> you think Roy actually got any? I don't think so. <laughs> well, I can imagine Pam just kind of like going along with it and just sort of staring off into the half distance <laughs> while it was going on, just like, you know. We're going to a place we probably shouldn't go. <laughs> blocking it out of her mind. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... <laughs> I was thinking it could go in a different direction, but that's a different kind of podcast. Uh, well, I was going to say that uh, gentlemen out there, don't ever go that route with your girlfriend. I, I think we've all learned. <laughs> That's about the creepiest line that was ever uttered in that show, I think, right yeah, there. <laughs> we've all learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> it's just the way that Denman gives that line, it's just, I don't know, it's so damn creepy. You know, you're in for the best sex of your life. Uh, yeah, she looked quite mortified as well. Yeah. And you know, the this is the weird thing about this episode, and they mentioned this in the commentary, and I actually noticed this before when I was watching it, is that... Season two was all about the chase, I guess. You know, Jim 
trying to chase after Pam. Just a couple episodes before this, we had the big booze cruise episode where it seemed like Jim was really fired up. Uh, Michael gives him the big rousing speech about going for it, you know, going for what he wants. He breaks up with Katie, um, mm-hmm. the temporary Pam replacement. And so aren't we thinking, I mean, aren't we, as we're watching this episode, we're sitting here thinking, okay, what better opportunity? Of course, something's going to happen. There's going to be some magical jam plot line during Valentine's Day. And <laughs> uh, good old Mike Shore screws it to us big time. There's no interaction between Pam and Jim in this entire episode, except for the one little kind of totally impersonal goodbye right at the end. Oh, it had a good pass, though, I thought. Well, I, I agree that, you know, if, if we're going back in time, we would have been disappointed <laughs> thinking that this might have been the culmination of our uh, long-seated uh, desires. But uh, we, I guess we had to wait until the finale for that. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, it totally, I think it breaks our expectations. You know, we're expecting it. They're, yeah. you know, Jim's free. The grand love holiday, of course, something's got to happen. And I, you know, deviously clever, these guys. <laughs> they stick the knife in the heart of the jam. Fan. I think that's what they do with a lot of things, is to go against our expectations. So I think that's great. <laughs> well, that's true. And that is kind of, I guess, the weird thing is, like I mentioned in the opening, this is sort of the birth of, now it's not the first appearance of this, but it's sort of like the birth of the whole Duangela relationship. We get the, the discreet little conversations, we get the bobblehead, we get the, at the end, we get the key to the beet farm <laughs> given mm-hmm. out which will unlock who knows what horrors, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and I think you started to really root for them as a couple with this episode. Right. Because you really thought, well, look at what she did for him. And then, you know, he, he realizes his mistake and he's desperate. And he, you know what, he pulled it out at the end pretty dang good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I gotta say, them. I, I do have to say that that is about the best gift ever. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. That's the first time we start to kind of move away from them being this sort of creepy sideshow attraction into kind of what they became more in season three, I guess. We had more stakes in the relationship. Uh, Definitely, they were the only ones having any kind of love uh, during Valentine's Day. Well, I guess technically maybe Michael and Jan at the end, but... Well, and uh, Phyllis and uh, Bob Vance from Vance Refrigeration. (laughs) That is true, man, and that, uh, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, now, now, talk about pressure to put out. <laughs> man. Phyllis was definitely under the gun for that, right? <laughs> Do not put that picture in my head. <laughs> what are you doing to me? <laughs> Phyllis and Bob Vance, that's the last thing I want to picture, is their <laughs> night there of connubial bliss. After all, the, after all those things of flowers and chocolates and... Uh, that gigantic bear. Oh, my God. You know, but that's the thing. I guess it's kind of funny. I Maybe it's different being a man. Our culture is pretty much that Valentine's Day is mostly one way, I think, a lot of times. And mm-hmm. I don't sit around and feel sad if someone doesn't give me a Valentine's Day gift. I suppose if you're in a relationship, it's a different story. And if you're a female, it's maybe a different story. And Pam yeah. has to sit there and uh, <laughs> just watch this really over-the-top, ridiculous display of gifts, which <laughs> I'm sure was only put in there just to sort of drive her crazy. You know, I, I can't imagine anyone, no matter how successful their refrigeration business might be, going quite that overboard. But uh, it's Bob Vance for you, I guess. I guess. 
<laughs> well, you know, before we, you know, well, I guess we've teased that line of this episode, but we haven't talked about the other part. Maybe we can get into that first and uh, savor the best for last. But yeah, that's kind of... Of course, the Dunder Mifflin corporate storyline was pretty interesting in this one. Uh, of course, we got our first glimpse of Josh Porter from Stanford and the, the other branch managers. What was it? Dan from Buffalo and Craig... Yeah, what, the Dan, idiot? <laughs> uh, Dan uh, the guy Dan has actually shown up in a couple of episodes. He was in the Dunder Mifflin Infinity episode from season four. I don't know if you remember that, where they had like the live feed set up at the Dunder Oh yeah, Dunder right. Okay. Branches. So he he was he popped up again. And you're right. This is sort of the first time that we get that that uh, culture that we came to see in season three. You know, we get Josh, we get uh, Daniel uh, David Wallace for the first time. Dan <laughs> from Buffalo, who, you know, I'm not going to say he's a big part in this whole thing, but, and then, yeah, Craig from the Albany branch, yes. which, and Mike Shore, again, in the commentary, brought up an interesting point here, that these four guys that they presented here actually represented a spectrum of sort of quality of the branch managers. And the funny thing is, I guess maybe this is what, why I really like this episode as well, is that um, Michael's not the bottom of the pole. You know, he's not on the bottom. <laughs> he's above at least Craig, you know? Yes. Um, and that's the thing, I guess, that in a, if you're going to try to make Michael just kind of an idiot, then what they would have done is had him make the video and then not have the data or not have the report that he was supposed to have but right they come through with that that yeah okay yeah he's stupid he makes a video but yeah he still is prepared he still has the stuff that he's supposed to have so he's not totally incompetent that's uh, right despite what we might think <laughs> uh, yeah so it's, it's kind of sad to think that he's not the worst guy in the company <laughs> so yeah it set up a lot of that kind of plots a lot of that stuff that would pay off in season three Again, the sort of the Jan Michael rekindling because before this we had them having their one moment, and it was it seemed very clear that that was going to be sort of the last of it. It might have come off as just a one-off situation, and uh, and it's definitely how she played it in the episode, actually up until that very last minute. So, um, well, and I gotta tell you, I mean that's again the writers throwing us a curveball because we were expecting the jam payoff but we got another one instead so i think that that was uh, pretty cool and i don't know we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to that part but uh i i love that part of the episode see this is the thing like i don't i still don't really root for that relationship so i don't know if that's really a payoff <laughs> for me or not um uh, michael is you're not romantic well this this begins that this begins the ultimate mind screw of Michael Scott. I mean, he actually lets it go. He's like convinced that it's over, it's done with. Um, and then right when he's gonna leave, then she brings it back, <laughs> brings it back to life. Uh, I guess with his noble action, he won her heart. Man, well, whatever the case may be, let's get into the clips here, my friend. Michael, of course, going as we said to New York City, and uh, here he is with Dwight getting ready for that big trip. All right, Dwight, as you know, I'm heading to New York today doing a presentation on the branch to the new CFO. And you want me to come with you? No, the opposite of that. I will stay here and run things on this end. Very good. Question, will you be seeing Jan when you're in New York? I probably will. Why do you ask? Well, it's Valentine's Day, and you guys, you know. Well. <laughs> Screwed. What is your problem? <laughs> this is a business trip. I would have to be a raving lunatic to try to talk to Jan about what happened between us. Her words, not mine. She sent me an email this morning. But it is Valentine's Day. 
Yeah, I love that optimism still runs through, <laughs> despite that, you know, yeah, that, those are her words. And Dwight, of course, the most, <laughs> the idiotic, like, unsubtle guy there could possibly be. Well, you always get that Michael, you know, shut up, you know, thing with Dwight. <laughs> I think I love those moments. <laughs> yeah, no, the opposite of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some great stuff in there, but yeah, because you guys, you know, <laughs> screwed. <laughs> Uh, one step too far, I guess. And, you know, and there's the thing, okay, of course, Michael, even though Jan's telling him nothing's going to happen, of course, well, it's Valentine's Day, uh, New York is the city of love. This is actually one of the, again, one of the best parts of this episode is uh, Steve Carell on location in New York City. Uh, they mentioned, again, in the director's commentary, they talked about that there was like three people, I think, total that went to New York, like Greg Daniels, Steve Carell, uh, Kent Spornak, and I think uh, Randall Einhorn. And they were just, he, he mentioned that they just were driving around in a van, and then they'd jump out and really quick, like, film some scenes before Carell got mobbed by people <laughs> yelling out stuff, like, hey, virgin guy, hey. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then they'd jump back in the van, and they'd drive a little ways, and he'd jump out again, and then they'd film him a little bit, and, you know, this, there's just a lot of, Steve Carell improving, going around, you know, his his uh, <laughs> fascinating tour of uh, of New York City. And Kevin, I'd like you just to sit back in your recliner and uh, relax to the exciting New York City travelogue presented by Michael Scott. Well, here we go, on our way to New York, New York, New York. The city's so nice they named it twice. Manhattan is the other name. The meeting is until three, but I always like to come to New York a little bit early and hit some of my favorite haunts. Like right here is my favorite New York pizza joint. And I'm gonna go get me a New York slice. Here it is, heart of New York City, Times Square. Named for the good times you have when you're in it. Great places to eat. We have bubba gum shrimp, red lobster down there. Everybody takes a subway in New York. It's a way to, okay. There's a guy pooping in a cardboard box down there. This is the world-famous Rockefeller Center, and it's, that's Tina Fey from Saturday Night Live. I thought that was Tina Fey, but what? Are you serious? He was here? When? When I was talking to the fake Tina Fey? Come on! I would love to live in New York someday. It's a big dream of mine. Work corporate with Jan. Be awesome. Scranton is great, but New York is like Scranton on acid. No, on speed. No, on steroids. There is a lot of pressure on me right now. It's like Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals or like Stormin' Norman Schwarzkopf. And this presentation is Desert Storm. And as soon as it's over, we will not have to deal with those Iraqis anymore. Let's do it. Of course, the lame gag about him, his favorite New York pizza eatery, Sparrow. Lame uh, gag? <laughs> I thought that, I, I seriously, I wrote this in my notes, maybe one of the best jokes ever on The Office. I love that. This, this is everything you need to know about Michael Scott right there. No, lame as in Michael is lame. They're going right. to his favorite favorite New York eatery. And, and see, the thing, I guess maybe they hammered it home a little too much, because then when he's in Times Square, they have him listing off all the other great restaurants, like Red Lobster. Yeah, bubba Gum. Bubba Gum Shrimp. <laughs> Um, you know, he he's not a tourist. He doesn't like going to those touristy places, so he goes and hangs out in Times Square. Yeah, that was another good joke. 
<laughs> and, that pooping in the box thing just gets me every time. Yeah, I, I mean, he's crow's on. He's pretty much on fire, I guess, walking around there. Um, the, the, I don't know. The thing with Conan O'Brien and Tina Fey, that was a little, eh, I don't know what I thought about that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. A little, little too fake. I, I do like yeah. I do like Michael's reaction though when he finds out that he missed seeing Conan. He gets super pissed. Yeah. Can we can we talk about the serious aspect of that montage? Very serious. Sure. So what happened to Michael's briefcase? He was holding <laughs> it. He wasn't holding it. He was holding it. He wasn't holding it. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe the cameraman was holding it for him. I don't know. <laughs> he left it in the van, I guess. <laughs> serious continuity error, my friend. <laughs> See, I didn't even notice, so you got me there, man. <laughs> few things in the deleted scenes uh, about the trip. The only really funny thing, I guess, about... <laughs> the only really funny thing that was in the deleted scenes that they cut out was... Uh, they had a, there's one scene where Michael's walking down the street, and then <laughs> the guy Devin that he fired from uh, in the Halloween episode is like sitting there, and he's like, Hey, Scott! Scott! He starts chasing after him. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. I don't know. And then he says something like, you know, it's great to see Devin again. We can get some closure on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe they just cut for time, or maybe they thought it was too esoteric that people wouldn't know People who that don't was. know who he is. But, yeah. I don't know. I thought that was awesome. I, I, it definitely, it was closure for that episode, and nice continuity. So, this is the thing, then. Um, we get up to the office, and while Michael and the other branch managers are waiting around... They're, you know, kind of giving their opinion on their boss and and what they think of her. And Michael, as always, just can't keep it inside. She's the worst. She's our boss. Huh? She ain't my boss, dude. I don't work for that bitch. Hey, okay, okay, come on. You know, that's not... What? Cool it. You like Jen? How can you like Jen? Maybe because she's my girlfriend. Was. Or not my girlfriend. She's, we hooked up and... You hooked up with Jen? Just, you know, months ago... It was just once. It was kind of just stupid. Just, just forget it. Yeah, let's change yeah, subject. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the man, the myth, <laughs> the legend, Michael Scott. I think Josh is pretty impressed. Really? <laughs> I thought he was kind of uh, loathing that situation. <laughs> Although, you know, maybe he was, was he loathing... Michael for sleeping with Jan or Jan for sleeping with Michael? Probably. Yeah, probably the, <laughs> the latter. latter. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. That's definitely some, uh, some some scuttlebutt for the water cooler there when you find out one of your other man- other branch managers has diddled the boss. Well, and I'm sure there's a lot of gossip about Jan already because of her recent divorce at that point. So, you know, that'll hit the news wires and uh, spread like wildfire. Yeah, that is true. I, I wonder whatever happened to old Gould. Ah, uh, well, maybe season five, perhaps. Well... <laughs> Okay, and as the branch managers are giving their presentations, uh, as I said before, we see Josh giving his, you know, dynamic flow chart, you know, poster chart thing on the wall, whatever, dynamic, fabulous presentation. Um, and then it's Michael's turn, and, uh, well, Michael busts out a little something called Faces of Scranton. What is a business? Is it a collection of numbers and sales reports? Sure. But, as you know, David and Jan, it is much more. Life moves a little slower in Scranton, Pennsylvania, 
that's the way we like it. Because at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, we're not just in the paper business. We're in the people business. Let's meet some of the folks who make the Scranton branch so special. This is Stanley Hudson, one of our talented salesmen, an African-American father of two. Stanley's dedication is no doubt one of the hallmarks of the foundation of the business we're hoping to build our basis on. And finally, Pam Beasley. Look at her. Look how cute. Not bad at all. <laughs> As the receptionist, Pam is truly the gateway to our world. Well, I hope this gave you a little taste of what life is like here at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. What it's like to walk a mile in Oscar's shoes or try on Phyllis's pants. Next time you're in town, give us a call. Stop on by. I'm sure you'll be greeted by a big smile and a how you doing, pal? Maybe even one of Angela's famous brownies. And you'll know that you're home. Great school! Questions? <laughs> Dude, I don't care what you say. I love that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> I love you too, for one thing. I guess the song... Awesome, totally maybe inappropriate song there, but hey, it's still a great song. It's kind of cliched, but I, I'll, <laughs> I'll give it to you. It does kind of make you well up a little bit inside, and uh, it does make you feel like home. And I, and I think that, that this is an example of where Michael Scott is not a complete idiot. What he's trying to do is is uh, personalize his employees, maybe you know when they, they're talking about potential layoffs and uh, branch closures and things like that. He's trying to personalize these people to the, the upper management, right? Yeah, there you go. I Put mean, a face on it. Well, I can't fire Stanley. He's great. You know, <laughs> He's an African-American father of two. <laughs> Try, I, whatever the hell he said after that. He's part of the thing that we're trying to build our basis on. I don't know. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe there is a method to, to Michael's madness. Uh, although I will say the one good thing about the writer's strike, no more Michael Scott presentations, at least for a few months. <laughs> Yeah, I'm starting to get yeah. fatigue on that stuff. Of course, this was early; there wasn't that many prior. But anyway, I, I, it, it is good. It was a good little you know thing to put together. It does tell you a lot about Michael Scott that this is what he decided to do to bring to the CFO. And as like you mentioned, he did come prepared with the actual numbers, you know, begrudgingly. That's true. And you know, the the thing is that maybe he wants to bundle this video with the um, local ad commercial perhaps uh, and enter that in the festival circuit that might be the best path no i just i don't know there's some awesome lines in there especially that, that line where he's like you know now you know what it's like to walk a mile in oscar's shoes or try on phyllis's pants i don't know that line kills me every time i don't know i talk just, about a visual you don't want to imagine you know uh, i'd like to try on phyllis's pants someday oh. <laughs> you know there's only Ooh, kinky. <laughs> there is no Stanley Tree or Phyllis Bush. So how else are you going to know what Phyllis is like without trying on her pants? Well, anyway, let's uh, let's not go there, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, so I love that thing. And, yeah, and again, that's the difference, like you said. He does come prepared. Um, even <laughs> and the weird thing about David Wallace, and I think we've talked about this before, is that his whole attitude through all this stuff in this episode is very bemused. And I don't know if he, if it was written that way in the script or if he just played it that way uh, when he was doing it, you know, when Andy Buckley is doing this, this guy, because he's created this CFO, this kind of boss who's 
you know, he's got sort of a sense of humor. He's sort of a nice guy. He uh, kind of takes it in stride, kind of chuckles, yeah. I guess, at, uh, at what's going on. He's not like, oh, what are you doing with this crap? Kind of uh, angry boss that we might expect. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, Forgiving. Uh, again. As we'll see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Defying our expectations, I guess. Well, and this is the thing, man. Our buddy Craig, they're the fool, the idiot. As, uh, <laughs> as Michael says, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Well, uh, when it's his turn to present, he uh, tries to bail himself out by pointing the finger at our friend Michael Scott. Craig, you, you realize that we are trying to decide whether drastic steps need to be taken. Look, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Well, the point is, is this doesn't exactly bode well for your branch. Oh, man. You know what? Michael made that stupid movie. He doesn't get in any trouble. Maybe I should have slept with you, too. Okay. No, okay. no, no. All right. I'm not. This... I'm not. I just... I just don't know what to do anymore, Michael. I mean, I'm probably going to get fired. No, you're not. Yeah, I, 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 Michael, the CFO thinks that we slept together. Don't you understand? People get fired for much less. And I just can't believe that you told everybody. And we didn't even sleep together. Technically, we fell asleep in the same bed. Oh, so. God. Michael, it was months ago. It was once. It's over. Do you understand? Yes. I'm sorry. I'll fix this. I'll talk to him. I'll talk to David. Shirley, you cannot be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Airplane. <laughs> uh, Michael just can't resist. <laughs> oh, my wife. Well, anytime someone says Shirley, you can't be serious. I mean, I think that's like a, a reflex reaction. I mean, my wife mentioned it when I was playing that episode here, but... Uh, uh, you know, and, and I love when Michael does a little reference thing like that. But uh, I don't know, Ken. You know, he, he's he's trying to he's trying to win Jen back. He's trying to do the right thing. And I was gonna say, I, I think that's a generational thing. Maybe I don't know if anybody today. I don't know if these twenty-somethings appreciate the uh, the airplane like we do. Perhaps <laughs> definitely definitely a classic Leslie Nielsen line there, which Michael admires. And yeah, this is the thing again. We talked about Michael being incompetent. Um, and being a fool, but he still comes through with the presentation. He still comes through with the gallant defense of uh, Ms. Jan Levinson. Goes in, talks to David Wallace, just tells him it was all a big joke, that uh, it was in very poor taste. He takes all the credit or the blame. Well, and he, he also, you know, Craig misinterpreted what I said. He's an idiot. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a that's an argument that has a lot of... Uh, you know, feasibility, you know? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. uh, I think, I think David Wallace, you know, he's new on the job. He doesn't want to fire someone unless he's really got a good reason. So <laughs> for everyone's like, you know, saying the right thing, well, all right, you know, I don't care, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of funny when Michael Scott is telling someone, you know, calling someone else, not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> There's some, I suppose, <laughs> some thick irony perhaps running, running through that room. But yeah, and so his valiant gesture there, ultimately then, even though Jan has convinced him, finally convinced him that it's all over, she, uh, <laughs> well, she brings it back. Oh, Michael, thank you again for that, really. That oh, was very nice. No big deal, really. Sorry again. Oh, I no, just... it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. So, uh, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh. Yay! 
<laughs> they kissed again. Yeah, I love the, it. You get again that uh, hilarious sight gag there where Jan leans in. Michael just looks straight at the camera, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh no, <laughs> now look what you've done." She follows his gaze realizes it and then the door swings shut right as she turns back so yeah classic classic sight gag classic uh, visual comedy and a great story i love it i felt like wow they're in love you know <laughs> I, I, i'm rooting like i said i'm rooting for this couple and uh, that's you know that's one of their pivotal parts right there so well maybe my expert i don't know maybe my uh, i can't remember what i actually thought about that the first time i saw it i'm not sure if i thought it was a lovely heartwarming love story but Definitely, uh, like we said, on the road to dysfunction with Michael and Jan. And the funny thing is that this episode really does touch on those four couples then that we've come to associate with the show. We get our Michael and Jan moment. We get our um, Dwight and Angela moment. We get our really awkward Ryan and Kelly interactions, I guess, and then the, mm-hmm. well, the nothing Jim and Pam, I guess. Oh, no, there was all, there was all kinds of stuff there. Oh, man. I don't know about How that. How can you miss that? <laughs> well, the the one thing, and we'll talk about that in a second when we get to it here, the one thing that they did say, and if you pay attention to this while you're watching the episode, is that every time, every time that Jim's in a shot, or every time that Jim's doing a talking head, or Pam's in the background... And every time that Pam's talking, that Jim's in the background. So they are always in each other's shots. So frustratingly far away, I guess. Um, And this really exemplifies it here, I guess. Again, Pam talking about Valentine's Day. And, you know, who is she talking about? Not her boyfriend, not her fiancé. I really like Valentine's Day in this office. It's kind of like grade school. Everybody gives out little presents and stuff. Like last year, Jim gave me this card with Dwight's head on it. It was horrifying and funny. Phyllis! You just sign here. Roy and I are saving for the wedding, so I made him promise not to get me anything too big. Happy Valentine's Day, darling. Love, Bob Vance. Vance Refrigeration. (laughs) Wow. And uh, should we talk about the fact that Phyllis... Phyllis actually crushes the soul of not just one woman, but two in the office there that day. Yes, yes. Meredith was definitely not a happy camper. Well, <laughs> she was kind of comatose there by the end, but... Yeah, she was probably happy for a while. I mean, yeah, we see her sitting there with the... I'm assuming vodka tonic or gin and tonic. I don't know what she right. had in that cup, but... Uh, yeah. The, the super-sized Slurpee cup filled with some, some sort of alcohol, anyway. Absolutely. Uh, it gets you through the day, man. That's how I so, make it through my day. So did you notice uh, on that uh, the the wedding list that Pam was working on? Jim's name was on there. Oh yeah, it was Jim and and then you couldn't see because of her hand. I like tried to freeze frame it, but you couldn't really read oh, it. Oh man! But, so she is thinking about Jim. <laughs> we need the high def discs, man. <laughs> <laughs> One day we will be able to read that list. Well, yeah, and again, I mean, who does she think about? She's talking about Valentine's Day, and the, the best thing that she can come up with is talking about Jim and his, his great gift from the last year. Still hoping that her fiancé is going to come through with something, but of course, that ominous foreshadowing, we can pretty much guess, I think, that nothing is going to happen. And also, there's the beginning of the Phyllis and Bob Vance onslaught of gifts that uh, just grinds Pam down into a fine powder as the day progresses. So not uh, not a lot of love for Pam. However, we do have a very fortuitous discovery 
on Dwight's desk. What's this? What is this? I don't know. It's on your desk. But who put it here? And for what purpose? It was there when I sat down. Happy Valentine's Day. It's me. I'm the bobblehead. Man, I don't know why, but I find that he's reading that card. I find that so hilarious. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably never gotten one before. Maybe that's the thing. He's never gotten probably a not. And he's probably not quite sure what's in the box. He's probably thinking it's a prank from Jim or something. But then I'm sure you've read, you know, who it was from. And then, of course, it's a great gift. So well, it, really, I, what, it probably started a whole cottage industry, those custom bobbleheads, right? Yeah, I know. I'm telling you. I actually, I, I'm surprised that he wasn't much more suspicious because I would, uh, <laughs> I would definitely think that it was some kind of Jim shenanigans if I found that on my desk. Well, this is the thing. Jim, again, what kind of keeps Jim and Pam apart is the fact that then Jim becomes sort of the uh, shoulder to cry on for our dear friend Kelly Kapoor and her romantic travails with Ryan Howard. Hey, Kelly. What's up? Oh my god, Jim. Last night, Ryan and I totally finally hooked up. It oh, was awesome. That's great. I'm really happy for I know, and it was so <laughs> funny. We were at this bar with his friends, and mm-hmm. I was sitting next to him the whole night. And he wasn't making a move, so in my head, I was like, Ryan, what's taking you so long? <laughs> and then he kissed me, and I didn't know what to say. Wow. So I said, Ryan, what took you so long? I and mean, he just said it to him, Can you believe that? Wow. Oh my god, Jim, is that embarrassing? I'm embarrassed. No, don't be. Oh, no. Thank God, because right. I was nervous, Jim. You will not believe. I was I so nervous. But now, now I have a boyfriend. All right. <laughs> I hooked up with her on February 13th. <laughs> and we get that great visual gag there with this crazy hair sticking up. Another visual thing that you just can't see and can't appreciate in the clip is Jim inching his way <laughs> out the door. <laughs> Yeah, Slowly. she was definitely definitely not getting the hint that he was trying to end that conversation. But I mean, that's part of the course for her. But I mean, you felt so bad for Jimmy. He's trying to be a nice guy, and you know. But he, at the same time, he doesn't want to get stuck there all day listening to her, and uh, trying to be supportive and all that. But yeah, that was a pretty funny <laughs> clip. And you know, like you were saying, that that is what kind of keeps uh, Jim and Pam apart in this episode. And uh, he's. Definitely in his hands full with, with her, that's for sure. I know, by the by, his last line in that uh, in that scene, he's like halfway out the door. <laughs> he's just kind of peeping his head through, still talking to her. Um, yeah, she doesn't quite take the hint. And I guess we've seen that before with Toby telling us about how he traded desks with her. Um, ties in with season three where Jim gets stuck going back into the annex. And oh, yeah, right. And next to Kelly again. <laughs> So, yeah, maybe that was the start of their bosom buddy relationship. Now, here's the thing. As we said, um, Dwight gets the awesome bobblehead. And, uh, well, like a lot of people who get great gifts uh, and and don't think about getting gifts for the other person, they kind of find themselves in a little bit of a pickle. And uh, Dwight could use a little advice. Hello, Angela. Did you hear? Somebody totally rocked the house and got me the best present I've ever gotten. Really? I didn't get anything for Valentine's Day. Oh, I bet you will before the day is over. Really? Well, I hope I do. 
Pam, hi, how you doing? Good. Listen, uh, may I speak with you privately? You need to get something for your girlfriend? girlfriend? Yes, and the reason I didn't get anything for this particular person is that she's not really the kind of person you think would be into Valentine's Day. She's kind of... Tightly wound? Exactly. Okay, well, sometimes the gift is really about the gesture, you know, like what it means instead of what it is. You mean, like a ham? <laughs> no, not like a ham. It's about doing something so that the person knows that you really care about her. Okay, I get it. That's great. Her. Okay, shut up. I know exactly what to do. <laughs> Dwight in there, you know, of course, is like, oh, hey, how you doing? Okay, now here's my problem. And then, the, yeah, yeah, okay, shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he walks away. And uh, you caught uh, one of those good lines in there, definitely. Uh, oh, what do you think the significance, what is the gesture of a ham? What does that give us? I have no idea what that means. It's in, just nonsensical. In, in Dwight's Amish world, I mean, what is uh, giving a ham? But you know what? I'll tell you what. I, you know that tightly wound comment for Angela. I think that's another classic. <laughs> you know, definitely, definitely, yeah, and his reaction <laughs> exactly. too, right? I guess the other thing too about that scene with Pam and Dwight is that Pam says that the gift should be a gesture, and I guess what does that say about Roy's gesture? later in the episode. So again, I'm going to go back on, he's probably going to be disappointed because it's not a very good gesture for, for her, I don't think. Right, well, yeah, you're right. That um, that whole speech right there, that's obviously what she wants, what she's looking for. And uh, <laughs> She wants him to set a date and or something like that, right? Definitely does not get what she wants. Yeah, you'd think uh, some kind of grand gesture perhaps that, uh, you know, hey, it could have been a freebie. He wouldn't even have had to buy anything. He could just picked a date and uh, well no he picked a date at the booze cruise they set the date so oh that's right um they it was i don't know maybe <laughs> just give her a bouquet of flowers this leads us back into then uh sort of the jim and kelly part two and what i like about this confrontation here with with jim and kelly at the end is that you know jim really he kind of like lays it down he's had enough and uh he's just going to kind of lay it on the line and uh, Kelly still just doesn't quite get it. Hey, so do you want to do something tonight or... Oh, no, not while I'm here. I mean, I know it's Valentine's Day or whatever, but there's totally no pressure at all of any kind whatsoever. So. I can't tonight. I have plans with my friends. It's frustrating because we'd be so perfect together. You know what? Here's the deal, Kelly. It would be really nice if he was into you, right? It would be great. But he isn't. Yeah, but it would be so great if he was. Well, he's not, though. So you just got to suck it up. You just got to move on, try to have some fun. Come to my poker game tonight. Okay, cool. Is it okay if I invite Ryan? I don't really know why Jim gets so invested in this. Maybe he just kind of thinks that, okay, as her advisor, he's going to try to set her straight and uh, try to get her her over this and kind of give her the straight dope. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite sink in. He was trying so hard, too. I mean, he really was trying to hang with her and give her good advice. And he didn't get, even at the end, didn't really lose his cool. But, I mean, he was giving her good good advice, you know? Well, I like that. Uh, no, don't do this while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and his, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he lets up that sigh of ultimate frustration there. Well, yeah, well, he's not, you know, suck it up. <laughs> Can I invite Ryan? 
Nice. Ah, sad, sad, sad. I can't even believe he invited her to his party. Anyway, that would have been a. <laughs> I can't imagine what he was thinking. He must have just been desperate to try to be a nice guy or something. But well, you don't know that she actually attended, though. Well, you know. That's the thing. I mean, I, I, why would he want her to? I can't imagine that he would want her there. But. Well, I think again, he was trying to be a good guy. He was trying to reach out to a friend in the office, and you know, she might have a sort of a fragile heart with. This disappointment of this guy, you know, who's not going to do anything for her for Valentine's Day, and she's trying to be a nice guy, and she doesn't figure it out, and <laughs> by then it's too late, maybe. Ah, well, well, he tried, I guess, and you know, this, the next line here, then Dwight's grand gesture, as we said before, he uh, he does come through with the key, shiny new key to the Shroot Beet Farm. And uh, Angela is just delighted, and, uh, you know, Dwight just kicks back with this total sense of smug self-satisfaction. <laughs> He's got it all figured out, and uh, here is a cl- another classic Dwight speech. Women are like wolves. If you want a wolf, you have to trap it. You have to snare it. And then you have to tame it. Keep it happy. Care for it. Feed it lovingly the way an animal deserves to be loved and my animal deserves a lot of loving <laughs> is that how you got your wife kevin <laughs> no in fact that it's the way an animal deserves to be loved that's a little creepy especially for a guy you know who lives on a farm you know what i mean <laughs> hey it's uh, they get lonely some of those winter nights out there on the shrewd farm yeah i'm I, you know if he's talking a metaphor i'm just not quite getting it i guess <laughs> But but you gotta admit he you know he came through great with the key and you know uh, she looked pretty happy so and it was yeah. a good shot too the way the shot was composed where she was at, his, at her desk and he was there with a confident smile at his desk it was it was pretty nice yeah Dwight uh, was the man of this episode I think he's the only one that actually uh, satisfied his woman perhaps all right well <laughs> and let, our, our last clip here then is just the sort of culmination of this horrible day and. Again, even though Pam and Jim have been separated all day, you know, you sort of hold out hope that, okay, there's going to be something that pops up that's going to save it. You know, Jim, Jim's going to save it somehow, uh, or they're going to have some kind of moment together, or, you know, like uh, in the episodes past that maybe they're going to reconcile or call each other on the phone, or something's going to happen, but alas, <laughs> the writers screw us once again. Hey, babe. <laughs> Uh, almost ready to go? I guess. What's wrong? Nothing. It's just that I had to sit here all day while Phyllis got, like, an entire garden delivered to her. What? You're mad at me? I mean, I know that we said no big gifts, but I was kind of hoping you'd get me something for Valentine's Day. Well, Valentine's Day isn't over. Let's get you home, and you are going to get the best sex of your life. Head now? Yeah. All right, Beasley. Hey. Happy Valentine's Day. Bye. Good night, Pam. Good night, Phyllis. Just a little pathetic. Good night, Pam. That's awesome. Her <laughs> crawling out with that giant bear on her back. Oh, again. Well, awesome. it was it, it was it was a good way to cut the tension after G- uh, Pam's forlorn look there as Jim walked out the office. You know, her last chance at Valentine happiness walked out because well. He's not her fiance, so exactly. I, I thought that was a great moment. I, don't, I guess you're not buying it like I was, but you know, he turned to her and he said it, you know, in such a natural way. You know, hey, happy Valentine's Day, and you know, he walked away and she had that look. Uh, you know, 
Yeah, I, I, guess, I got a little dusty in the theater, as they say. Well, I, I I didn't see it that way, and I guess the way I, what I saw it as is that, you know, Jim's come to terms that there there's nothing there, and he's just being polite, and he's out the door, and she's left there then feeling lonely and kind of rejected, and it's a little bit of a reversal, I think, as far as their positions, perhaps, because they. Before this, up to this point, up to where they are here in this episode, I think that, you know, Jim was kind of always the one that was trying to pursue Pam. And Mm -hmm. this episode, it sort of does signal a little bit of a change where then she kind of starts to go after him. Not overtly, but, I mean, we still kind of get that, yeah, she kind of realizes now that uh, she's not really that happy in her relationship and something needs to be changed, but uh, it'll take us... (laughs) Another long season and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to get that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe maybe you've got a point. I don't know. I just I maybe maybe we're both right about that. I don't know. Well, I just thought it was. I mean, I I don't know. I didn't get anything out of it. It seemed to me like it was meant to be just kind of a total letdown, no jam action. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh. Evans is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? It's called the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. Uh, all right. Well, before we go on to the office news here, Kevin, uh, what's going on over in Frat Pack Land? Uh, well, Matt, of course you know that we just completed our third annual Frat Pack Earmuff Awards, the awards that are given to Frat Pack movies like Blaze of Glory, Knocked Up, etc. And we were pleased once again to have you as a presenter on the podcast, so that was <laughs> a lot of fun. And the other thing that we've had going on was I was out at WonderCon this past weekend, and I interviewed a bunch of people from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, like uh, Kristen Bell and Mila Kunis, so that, a lot of interviews there and uh, write up about the presentation that they did uh, for Universal and that movie, which is coming out in April. Dude, where's our Steve Carell interview? What the hell were you doing up there? Well, Get Smart is not a Universal production, and that's where my <laughs> contacts are, so unfortunately. Uh, damn it. The good news is that the office comes from Universal, so we'll, well see what happens. That is true. Get your contacts to work, and I need some inside information here. Kevin, I'm sure everyone in the universe knows by now that the writer's strike has ended. The office crew is getting back to work, and uh, according to Jenna Fisher's blog, they're reporting to uh, back to the office on March 3rd, I believe she says, and uh, they are going to only be doing six episodes. The sixth episode they do is going to be the hour-long finale, so I guess technically it's seven episodes, mm-hmm. but... Uh, um, first one back, of course, is the pre-strike script for Dinner Party. We still aren't really sure what's going to happen with the time jump, whether they're going to address it in the show or not. So um, we also did have from E a little bit of uh, some possible spoiler information for those six episodes. Do you want to go over that? Well, E did report that Rashida Jones is still contractually obligated to appear on the show, but they're not sure if they're going to use her or not. Um, so we'll see what happens with her character. I, you know, I think a lot of people are looking forward to Karen coming back for at least something, but we'll have to see. Yeah, maybe course, with the abbreviated season, I don't know if that's uh, if we need to see her twice, but right. 
And of course, lots of speculation about Angela Martin, who is pregnant in real life, and whether her character uh, will be pregnant on the show. A lot of people want to have that, but as you and I have talked offline, that we think that would be a horrible, horrible idea. Right, and then have Angela pregnant. The uh, Watch with Kristen blog on E basically brought up that that idea that it was you know that they're going to write it in, or that it would be Dwight's love child, and she thought it would be this excellent plot idea to have this Andy Dwight who's the daddy plot line in there. And I just, I thought that was, like you said, that seems horrendous to me. So all they need is a blanket or a, you know, a loose frock and she can hide the pregnancy. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but put a manila folder in front of her. Belly. <laughs> yeah. Again, I guess we'll just have to wait and, uh, and see come April 10th. Well, that is the next episode. Then dinner party is going to be on our Thursday night lineup on April 10th. Aside from the local paper concern, Scranton, Pennsylvania is also known for its fabulous St. Patrick's Day Parade. And uh, this is something that the cast and crew has always wanted to include in an episode. The Faircast won't make it out to Scranton this year, but you can look forward to Andy Buckley, a.k.a. David Wallace, who will be attending this year's festivities. At press time, no one's quite sure which float Buckley will be riding on, but he definitely will be there as well as a popular NBC store tent seen last October in the convention. <laughs> uh, yeah, that place was nuts, I got to say. Um, it's kind of weird when you go to a convention, I guess, when the biggest attraction is just to buy stuff. <laughs> you think you spent money to get in, and then you, uh, you stand in line to buy your Michael bobblehead or whatever the case is. Well, I'll tell you, WonderCon was a frenzy of that sort of activity for the comic book geeks, so... <laughs> just depends on what you're into, I suppose. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, it's some interesting stuff. I mean, uh, Andy Buckley was, of course, at the convention as well in October, so he's going to be making his big return appearance. So if you missed the cast, I guess, and you're going to be in town come St. Patrick's Day, look for the man himself, I suppose. Uh, Brian Baumgartner and Kate Flannery were in Minneapolis on February 19th, serving as celebrity talent scouts for NBC's show Last Comic Standing. In an interview with the local media, Baumgartner commented on the strike, saying, The last few months have been incredibly difficult. I will not lie. We've missed being together. I had a bottle of champagne that sat in my refrigerator for three months, and I enjoyed drinking it very much last week when the strike was over. Speaking of last comic standing, Leslie David Baker also appeared as a talent scout on February 26th in Tempe, Arizona. Not sure when the show will air or if Kate, Brian, and Leslie will be on when it does. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I don't know. I, have you ever watched that show before? I have not. I have not either. Uh, apparently, just this last month and then into March, they're having open mic, uh, you know, casting for the show to air sometime in the summer. And I don't know if they've done this before, but this season, their their uh, kind of hook with this is that they're flying out NBC celebrities to judge the comics. Like, uh, I know one of the shows in March, they're going to have like George Went and. Uh, <laughs> And John Ratzenberger, John Ratzenberger as as guests, uh, judges, and uh, a couple of guys from Chuck, I think, are guest judging as guests, uh, judges, and uh, a couple of guys from Chuck, I think, are guest judging at one point. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of interesting. So hopefully we'll see, since they're spending you know the effort to get these guys out there, hopefully we'll see them pop up in the actual show at some point. So might be the only thing that'll get me to uh, to watch, I suppose. 
Um, and, you know, speaking of uh, Leslie David Baker there, um, I don't know if you happen to see this or not. I just saw this today, uh, a new commercial for AT&T and their broadband service uh, starring our friend Stanley as a train conductor. <laughs> A train conductor. Yeah, the uh, you know some kind of commuter train, Amtrak type train guy, and uh, you know one of the passengers says something like, "Hey Gus, how fast is that ATT broadband?" And he jams the jams the throttle forward, and everybody like goes into light speed, and it's all crazy. And you know, <laughs> Stanley just so, gives us one of his looks, his pat you know patented Stanley looks back at the uh, camera. Well, good for him for cashing in, right? I guess during that. Uh, you know, writer's strike, he had to make the bucks. What do you think about I mean, are are these actors, these, especially the background actors, people like Kate Flannery or Leslie David Baker or Brian Baumgartner, I mean, are they ever going to have a career after this, after this show's over, when they're not just typecast as their office characters? I don't know. I, I would say the chances are pretty slim, but you never know. I mean, a lot of these sitcom actors, if you're on a popular show, you can milk that as a career for decades. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you can, you know, I'm sure they'll maybe eternally have convention appearances and uh, different things like that, but, you know, as actors, I'm sure most of them want to get other jobs. <laughs> I just don't know if I can accept them as any other any other roles. I guess maybe that sounds so bizarre, but, you know, maybe because it seems like such a realistic show or... Uh, well, I think the characters you mentioned are the type of actors that are... Mm, not the sort of leading type of characters, and so it's harder for them to break out of those typecast roles compared to someone like John Krasinski who can play kind of different roles or Jenna Fisher or somebody like that. <laughs> well, yeah, we might have to take that back, though. I don't know. John does have only those six patented facial expressions, so he might have some issues. I guess we'll have to see what happens in Leatherheads, whether we get to, whether he looks into the camera or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Carell was at the Oscars, and he was pretty funny. Promoting and get smart. <laughs> well, let me ask you something though, Kevin, because uh, Steve Carell this year has been sort of the golden it boy of award shows. Uh, I don't think there's been an award show in the last year that he hasn't been a presenter. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, is it just me? I, it almost seems like his his uh, shtick is almost the same in every award show that he presents. You know, he goes up there, he says something kind of stupid, and then you know, makes some kind of error, or some kind of mistake. <laughs> And then changes his opinion, and then, uh, you know, his co-hosts kind of roll their eyes. Well, you know what? If it tastes good, why <laughs> switch to something else? Why mess with success, I guess, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. That it, he, it is not a surprise what he does when he goes up there, but it, I think it's funny every time. I'm not getting tired of it yet. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was, uh, it was amusing, I guess. Um, I'm still not sure how Get Smart's going to play out, I have to say, even though, of course, I enjoy his work on The Office, and, um, you know, I think that Anne Hathaway's pretty hot, but I guess we'll have to see. Well, I will tell you that the people at Universal definitely think the movie's going to do very well, even though it's not their, their movie, but they talked about the fact that the comedic landscape for summer was a lot more competitive this summer than it was last year, so that's why they moved Sarah Marshall from May to April, so... Okay, and there's your uh, inside information for you about <laughs> something office related. And speaking of movies, again, one other thing, I mean, you might have caught this recently, but we're going into full marketing push now for Horton Hears a Who as well, with uh, Steve Carell lending his voice, as well as some of your buddies like Seth Rogen there to 
Dr. Seuss's classic story of an elephant and some tiny little who people. Yeah, it's looking pretty good. So I'm definitely going to go see that because the kids want to see it. So we'll be able to report back here how Steve Carell is All right, well, you know, co-starring role. Definitely at least no live action Mike Myers in horrible makeup. So I guess <laughs> that is a plus. Uh, all right. Well, well, this is an article we probably should have read earlier. In a recent interview with Elle magazine, Rain Wilson described Dwight and Angela's sex life as this. I don't think they've actually gone all the way. I see a lot of full-scale fraudage, like sexy but clothed, but they're probably both in long underwear. <laughs> so I guess that would explain uh, perhaps that she is not pregnant. Yeah, I, uh, that sounds pretty true. Although, you know what, though? The, the thing that throws the wrench into this whole thing, really, is the controversial convention appearance in, uh, in Dwight's room by semi-clothed Angela, so... How prim and proper is she to sneak into a man's hotel room? I don't know. Yeah, and she wasn't just in there. She was in there in a very provocative <laughs> way, right? Yeah, well, you saw some bare naked legs on the bed, so I don't know. Something was going on in there. Uh, whether it was just necking <laughs> or rubbing their necks together, I, I don't know. Well, that's what Matt said, Kevin. <laughs> well, speaking uh, at the Get Smart panel at WonderCon, Steve Carell mentioned it is his desire to turn his recent jury duty experience into a script for The Office next season. All right, and who, who called, who called that? that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure anyone with half a brain would have figured out that that would have been a pretty interesting Office episode, I guess. Although, you know what, though, the thing is, it, after the deposition, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of courtroom kind of shenanigans, I guess, have already sort of been uh, been covered this season, so I'm not sure. I was thinking about this. It would be hard to justify the cameras being present in the jury room without some sort of premise that probably would not play very well. But I think it would be hilarious to have somebody else from the office in the jury with Michael Scott in some <laughs> fashion, maybe Bob Vance or someone you know outside the office. I think it would be very interesting. <laughs> well, maybe Madge from the warehouse. Yeah. That, that would be comedy gold. Think about that. <laughs> Uh, NBC.com has added a new webpage to the Office family, Adventures with Angela. Head on over to NBC.com slash the office slash Angela for photos, videos, and Angela at the Emmys and traveling with Jenna Fisher, a Q&A section, and more. And uh, also, yep, also on display is the latest entry in the Shroot Space blog entitled The Most Practical Method of Meat Preparation. So... Good good stuff, I guess, going on over there. And, yeah, it's kind of weird with that Angela page. I'm not sure because they don't have pages for any of the other cast members. Maybe just because the NBC.com people had filmed her for some sometimes in the past. I'm not really sure. She's very, of course, warm and friendly and everything else. So, But she has her own little sub-page, so you can head on over there and watch her and uh, Jenna Fisher driving in a taxi and lots of interesting stuff happening, I guess. Okay, uh, Dunder Mifflin Infinity shout-out. You know, Kevin, and unfortunately I have to say that I've sort of really fallen out of uh, practice with Dunder Mifflin Infinity, the web game, in the last few months. And recently I was talking to our regional manager, uh, Eric Sabai, who um, has been saying that he's been getting a lot of flack from a lot of people on the board saying that he's not doing his job as regional manager and wanting him to quit and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I 
we started this branch. This is whether or not people know it. I guess this is the that's what she said branch. You know, we started it. It was uh, it was our votes, our people that that got enough uh, signups to get the branch started. So, um, if anyone that is a Twist listener is out there that's still really like into the whole Dunder Mifflin game. Um, Give me a ring or drop me a line because I I'd like to talk to some people you know who if I'd like to keep the branch in our possession I guess is what I'm trying to say I don't want to give it up Eric's kind of wondering whether or not he should give it up uh, so I'd I'd like to keep it in the family I guess as it were and if there's someone else uh, out there maybe that can. Uh, you know, get us back up to speed or whatever the case may be. Um, just drop me a line, I guess, if you're playing the game, and, uh, and we'll try to sort something out. Uh, let's talk about some of the cast blogs. All right. Uh, Jenna Fisher finally had her first paparazzi experience. <laughs> this is pretty interesting. Uh, she wrote in her blog, My sister and I were at Bristol Farms Grocery Store in Beverly Hills. I walk outside, and a photographer pops up from behind some cars and points a huge camera in my direction. My first thought was, whoa, there must be a famous person shopping here. I turned around to see who it was, and then I realized the famous person was me. I freaked. My instinct was to duck and run. Yeah, you know, uh, the funny thing is about that, I guess, uh, originally her she was telling this story for a long time that um, she thought, you know, her, her car got crashed into by a paparazzi or something, and <laughs> and they just ignored her, and they were chasing after Christina Ricci or something. So I guess she's <laughs> finally, finally coming to her own here. She's got her David Spade rumor. And uh, now she's got somebody <laughs> stalking her at the grocery store. So look for that on the cover of Star Magazine, I guess, sometime. Nah, whatever. One of those scandal rags. Kate Flannery's been doing some blogging over at TVGuide.com, and she said that Angela Ed Helms, Oscar, and I did a special IO West benefit for the people hurt by the WGA strike with Kate Walsh. It was a really fun improv show. Angela was there all pregnant and whatnot. They were all very funny. We may do another show next month like that. So if you like improvisation, keep an eye on Keith Flannery's blog. All right. Well, and uh, our buddy Daryl Philbin, Craig Robinson there, is filming Zach and Miri make a porno for Kevin Smith. Uh, appears in the new viral video, I'm effing Seth Rogen. And how is that video? It's very funny. I like it. And... Uh, Craig Robinson has some good stuff in there, and it sounds like he's got a big part in that movie, which is looking very good. So, All right, well, uh, maybe more for our main man here. It's kind of hard to believe, Kevin, that we actually have a new episode to look forward to. <laughs> it's so funny how you get out of the habit of watching the show on a regular basis, and I'm just happy to watch a show doing these podcasts because I would not have been watching any Office. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, I—it's really weird. It's, I've been really out of touch with the show. I gotta say, so gotta get. I'd like the, to go back. I'd like to go back and watch the rest of season four, those past episodes from long ago. But of course, can't get them from iTunes. <laughs> like I said, next new episode, the dinner party, on Thursday, April tenth. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, well, 
I just wanted to give a big thanks to everyone who sent in a comment or email uh, in our big t-shirt giveaway this last three weeks, Kevin. Uh, lots of good stuff. Heard from lots of people, some new, a lot of new people. But uh, as the Highlander says, there can be only one. So, Kevin, drum roll, please. Okay, and our winner is Brian Wright from Boston, Mass. And Brian wrote, hey, Matt, I'm a huge fan. and I've been listening since episode one, and I just wanted to thank you guys for all the hard work you guys put into every episode. Uh, P.S., Kevin, I forgot to tell you that I keep hearing you on the voicemail line for the Inside the Magic podcast. Um, Brian's comment was selected randomly from all the entries received, so he will be sporting his exclusive extra-large Dunder Mifflin Infinity t-shirt that I scored as free swag during the press event at the office convention. So congratulations, Brian. I don't know, Kevin, what the hell is, what, what is this Inside the Magic podcast? It's a Disney World podcast that I call into and listen to. And uh, it's funny, I've, I, maybe I feel like Jenna Fisher now. I have my own stalker. <laughs> well, I will. I'm just following me around the internet. You're right. Uh, you know, you're, you're quite the podcast whore, though, Kevin. I mean, you're here, you're on your own. I always hear you on uh, Film Spotting as well, and now Inside the Magic podcast. You're uh, the man of a thousand shows, I guess. I am. <laughs> well, congratulations to Brian for winning, and thanks for everyone for writing in. Exactly. And uh, also, yeah, we also did, you guys met my challenge. We got now 207 iTunes reviews up there. So we broke the 200 barrier, but uh, keep them coming. If you haven't left a comment yet, if you like, enjoy what we're doing here, just uh, sign in, leave a positive comment for us, and help us keep our rating climbing higher and higher. Every new review, Kevin. An angel gets its wings. It is well appreciated. Well, that's about going to do it for us here for this end of the month, last of February, Valentine's Day, late retro episode. Uh, Join us here in a few weeks for episode 39, a retro return to the season one classic basketball. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, leave positive feedback, as I said, on iTunes and help spread the word. Uh, to anyone that you know that listens to the sh- uh, that watches the show that listens to podcasts that might not have heard of us before uh, in any office related forums out there that you might happen to post to uh, every little bit helps um, check out Kevin's blog over at fratpackpodcast.com subscribe to his podcast there or through iTunes music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com slash the office for more deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, celebrity blogs, Angela videos, and more. And uh, one last thing, I guess, in regards to the music, Kevin, I do want to make a mention because review number 207 said that they loved the show. In fact, that they had put the show theme song on their iPod, and if you would like to join them, I don't think I've pimped this enough. I know we have a link on the blog page, but if you enjoy the show theme song there that is uh, from a group called Corporate Whore, that song is You Want, and that is available on iTunes for your listening and purchasing pleasure. So if you'd like to uh, 
check that out. Go on, do a little search for corporate whore. Now, unfortunately, because of Apple's like little family-friendly filter, uh, they won't allow the word corporate whore <laughs> to appear on iTunes. It's corporate like W H asterisk R E or something. I don't know, but oh, that sucks. Yeah, well, I think it'll I, still I did pop buy up. that track, but <laughs> uh, awesome and. Uh, Thanks again, everyone, for your support. And, Kevin, thank you again for joining us here at the uh, Water Cooler this week. Always a pleasure. All right. Stay frosty, my friend. Yeah.